This week we are in session seven. I pray. I couldn't come up with a better title. Their title is, I mean, that's, sometimes when they're like that, I redo them, but I did that be better. A shared commitment to God's purpose produces unity among all believers. As we have been coming through uh, the book of John, this latter half of John, there's a lot about the Holy Spirit and what his purpose and job and all. It is probably the most succinct teaching on the Holy Spirit in all of Scripture. And it's from Jesus himself as John is explaining what Jesus said about the coming of the Comforter. It's also a, a lot about how we as believers are expected to continue on. And that continuing on includes our unity with each other through the 11th commandment that we're supposed to love one another. It's an awful lot. And John keeps reiterating it and reiterating it and reiterating it. When somebody says it over and over again, do you think it's important? Yeah. 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 Today we're going to see, this is um, not the, this isn't the prayer that Jesus does in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, this is a prayer. We are not sure where Jesus is as we come into chapter 17. He is still on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, they have left the upper room. We know that they, there was, they were going to the garden. Um, Jesus had told them that that's where they're going. It is believed, and this is only something that we're guessing at. It is believed that the path that he took from the old city, the city of David, which is the lower part of Jerusalem, when they left there, they went through the Temple Mount in order to get to the Garden of Gethsemane, to the gate, the Sheep Gate. We've talked about that. And you can see it. There's, uh, I've got a map over there. I think you guys have this map in your, uh, in your packets. The temple is here. This is the temple here. The Sheep Gate is up here. Um, and this, all the way down here, this is the old city. This is the city of David down here. So they would have gone through. I mean, otherwise you got to go all the way around the Temple Mount. So it is believed that they climbed into the, up the stairs into the Temple Mount and went across the courtyards to get to the north side where they could go out to get to the Sheep Gate. While passing through in the porticles, all this teaching that we've been going through the last couple of weeks is where that took place. Remember I talked about where he does the whole sermon on the vine near the branches? There's a giant golden vine, uh, grapevine, that covers the doorways into the temple on the one side. We don't know that that's where he was, but that's the side that's called Solomon's porch. It's often where Jesus taught. And so it is believed he may have been sitting there or standing in front of the, the gates into the temple district where that giant golden vine is. And he made the illustration. It's That's probably where they're at, where all this last couple of weeks teaching is taking place. And now he's closing in prayer. So this is the end of this period of teaching as they make their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. They're only about halfway there. Um, 
we don't know. We don't know for sure, but this is likely taking place there. We are in John chapter 17, verses 12 through 26. This is going to be short, I think. But I've said that before. I don't have a lot of material because this is very, Jesus is going to be very pointed. Um, that, that's the way teaching passages are uh, with this. So don't be surprised if we get out quite early as we look at this. But we're going to look at a prayer that Jesus is going to make. Any comments or questions before I wander on? All right. And let's jump into this. John chapter 17, verses 12 through 19. Somebody read that. While I was taken with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you. These things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I have consecrated, consecrated, I consecrated myself that they also may be sanctified and true. All right. I know we kind of jump into the middle of this. Um, Jesus is praying to the Father, and he says there in verse 12, while I was with them. Who's the them? Disciples. The disciples. Remember, he's praying to the Father. He's not talking to the 12. While I was with the disciples, I kept them in your name. Jesus was protecting them. It's interesting. We don't think about that, do we? They have linked up and become disciples of Jesus and basically now have signs on their back as targets. Who targets for who? Pharisees. Okay, yes. But not only. And the devil. And Satan. Um, he talks about that here, that he's protecting them from the evil. Satan is hunting them. And they're safe because Jesus was protecting them. We don't ever think of that concept. I mean, we think about it as just a great party. They wandered from town to town with Jesus and all this. It was war. And they're behind enemy lines. He mentioned he wanted to sift Peter. Right. Yeah. Jesus says, tells, told him that, that Satan wants to sift you. I'm going to let it happen. That means that they, Satan had to get permission. Couldn't do it. We don't realize, I think, how much protection we gain from Christ. This is interesting as we're as he's praying this, we learn a lot. We, we kind of just jump to specific things and points, but we want to look at the whole thing. Let's look at this as we uh, go this morning. We are still in point three of our outline of John. I know, it seems like forever. I mean, point one was just chapter one. Point two was chapter one through chapter 12. Three is 13 through 17. So this is it. This is going to be the last of point three, but the rest of them are going to go really quick um, as we look at this in our outline. But this is still preparation. Um, it's the instruction of the 12. 
And this is the end. He's praying the end of the instruction. And he prays that they be sanctified. Sanctify them. He's asking the Father to sanctify them. Now, that's one of those big $5 Christian words that we don't, we, we, we read it, we don't really talk about it. But the entire idea of sanctification is that something is set apart for a particular purpose. In this case, he wants God to sanctify them, set them apart for his will, for his work. And that's going to do several things. Um, this is really odd. As I was reading this, I realized this. That they be guarded from the evil one. Our protection from Satan comes from our sanctification. Yeah, that, that's, it, when we, being sanctified means being set apart. How do we do that? How are we set apart? By becoming a believer. Yes and no. That's, becoming a believer is only, is only one part. That's a once and done thing. Sanctification is a process. Go on. I was going to give you another once and done thing. We're sealed. <laughs> We're sealed, but again, it's, that's, yeah, that's dumb. That's not, that's not how sanctification protects us. See, this is one of those things we don't talk about it. Learning and doing his will. There you go. It is the process of becoming Christ-like. When we love one another, it's contrary to the world, isn't it? That's what protects us from the evil one. Being sanctified by participating with Christ in his work in our world. May I, don't ask me how that works, but it does. When we are doing what we're supposed to be doing, loving one another as we are supposed to, and loving our neighbor as ourselves, when we're following those commands, when we're doing and living that way, it allows the Holy Spirit to work in us, doesn't it? Which that provides the protection. If we are not working with the Holy Spirit, if we're not letting him work in our lives, he can't protect us. So by living the way we're supposed to, we have him in our life, which means he's now protecting us from the evil one. See how that works. The whole thing has changed. It's crazy, right? He's the spirit of truth. You don't want to be caught up in the lies of Satan? Then follow the Holy Spirit and live the way you're supposed to be living, which is living in the truth, and you don't fall to the lies. See how that works? See, we want to ignore all that. This might sound really crazy, but okay. Uh, just the way the world is really pushing, it seems, transgender. Mm -hmm. Do you think, like, I could be just stretching it, but something that of Satan, if you don't know who you are, like he can, you know, like people are saying transgender means God didn't make you right, and it's yeah. God's fault. The oh, sure. Are. That, that goes all the way back to the garden. That's the same argument that Eve and Satan had. Eat the fruit, you can be like God. I'm not, God didn't make, God made you wrong, you could be God-like. If you want to, all you gotta do is eat this. You wanna be a different gender, God didn't make you right. Here, here take these drugs and it'll change you, take, get the surgery, it'll change you. It's an attack of our identity. That is what Satan attacks, is who we are. And if we don't know who we are in Christ, then we will fall to Satan's 
lies. Somebody will tell you what you are or who you are. That I mean, if you go back, that Marxism gained all of its ability to enslave the people in Russia because they were lied to. You can all be rich. Well, no. You can all be the same. That's what he yeah. taught. Their identity, who they were, they didn't want to be who they were. You're a farmer. You do this and that. These are the other. They, they weren't satisfied with who they were and what God gave them to do. So they bought the lie. You can be equal to the Russian czar. You can be just like all of them. All you got to do is kill them and all their family and all the kids and everything, and you'll be just like them. They bought the lie of identity. In this case, it was an economic identity. And they rammed down that road to look where it led them to. Right now, Satan is using uh, sexual identity. You don't have to be a boy or a girl. You don't have to be a slave to whatever sex you are. You can be whatever you want to be. They did it in the 80s. It came out with uh, that you don't have to be um, a slave to your um, role. So it was, it was all the roles. You can be mother, wife, and uh, CEO and have it all. And we see how that's played out. All the latchkey kids, all the single moms. It didn't work out. They bought the lie and they ran down that road. And we look at where our country is today. I mean, a lot of our problems stem from that period where it was it was it was a war on roles who had what role and the thing is is God assigned roles didn't he said this is who you are this is who you are go and live your lives in this manner we didn't like it we can change it now it's you don't have to be this gender if you don't like to you don't have to be poor or rich yeah over and over again it's our identity and it's guarded by the spirit of truth, by following and doing what we're supposed to be doing, when we submit to Christ and follow what he has told us and believe the truth, we're protected from the evil one. I'll take any comment or question. It continues to be Satan's attack on the family in general. Sure. After, and it's just the family can be anything yeah. you want it to be. At Thanksgiving time, we see all those commercials that it's not about going home to your family. Your family is whoever you want it to be. You can pick your family. That's not true. You see it a lot with the wine commercials <laughs> um, at Thanksgiving time. Look, you can have all the friends you want, but that's, that's not the family. That's not what family is. God decided what family is. A man and woman who join together and if they have and their children, that's a family unit. And the extended family are those that go beyond of the unit. But we've been waging war on that in America. But it's even like going one step further with like kids thinking they're cats. No, well, yeah. Yeah, that, now we're getting to the absurdity. Yeah. Yeah. Just think, many of them are graduating. It's graduation season. They're, they're, they're graduating and they're going to continue to graduate and move into the workforce and politics. And yeah, they're going to vote. And you're gonna be, you know, they're taking, they're gonna, they're the future, they're the next generation coming up. What's the world gonna look like with that? I mean, we see what it is, how broken it is now because the families were broken in the 1980s as the the roles, gender roles, war was won or was lost, and now we're in the gender wars. And I guess it'll be, 
animal wars? I, I don't know. As they as they fight to be whatever they want to be. Species. Huh? Species wars. Species, yeah, interspecies wars. I mean, you see how ludicrous it is. We're looking at it because as we sit here, we're guarded by the spirit of truth. We can see the, how absurd this is, but the rest of the world doesn't see the absurdity, do they? No. They're okay with it. You're going, wait, how crazy. can you? They think we're the crazy ones. I'm not the one wandering around with cat ears and using a litter box in the back. <laughs> how am I crazy? How <laughs> <laughs> stupid. We're guarded, but you're guarded from the evil one because you're living a life of sanctification. You are trying to be more Christ-like. You have allowed the Holy Spirit to indwell in you, and you are listening to him. He's not got any power. Secondly, set apart in truth. The truth being the words of God. That's what Jesus just said. I gave them your words. Not Jesus' words. These are words from the Heavenly Father. He was sent to testify to truth. He's sending the spirit of truth. Do we understand that Satan's whole attack, it isn't what these movies and society <laughs> makes out, that legions of demons are coming to the earth with swords and are killing us. No, it is an attack on truth, and he's destroying us through our minds by making us believe lies. And the only reason we're believing them is because we have denied God. We're denying the Holy Spirit. We're not being sanctified. That's why he prayed this prayer. Sanctify them. That they would know the words that you gave me that I gave to them. And now here's the really terrifying part. You ready? We are being sent into the world. All of this is happening so that he can send us into the world, into the lion's den, into the battle. God, Jesus talks about how the Father sent him, and he's sending us. It's not about us being safe, secure. Um, the whole monastic movement of the uh, Dark Ages, where Christian, really godly people would get together, build giant castle walls, and keep the world out. That's not what we're called to. We're called to live in the insanity that the world is. And bring truth to it. He says in verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. If we were supposed to be a cloister. And live together just as Christians in a little commune somewhere. That's what he would have prayed. But he says I don't ask you to take them out. Remember he's talking to the father. God, don't take them out of the world. But that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So now he's told us that we're sanctified to truth. He defines what truth is. Truth is the word of God. That book that you have in front of you that they keep attacking, that they can't seem to kill, no matter how hard they try, that is the truth. Whether it's a great translation of it or not is irrelevant. It's still the truth. And that's what we've been given for protection. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them. We are meant to be in the world. 
This is our sanctuary, our time here together, where we're looking at the truth, and we're talking about it, and we're understanding it, and we're learning, and we all are. Yes, I may be the teacher, but we're, we're learning together because you guys come up with stuff that I hadn't thought of. And I learned too, and we learned together. And then we go from here into the world to do battle with Satan. And every time we come across a lie, and we correct somebody or, or tell them that it isn't, we're doing battle. We're fighting for their mind. That's sobering, isn't it? How much truth do you know? How much time do you spend in the truth in order to have conversations with people to point out that they what they're talking about is a lie? Are you willing to talk and have those conversations? Our world has made it mostly illegal to have those kind of you can be sued, fired, or anything else. But that's the war, that's the battle, that's the reason we've been sent into the world. It may not be to make money. Now, we can do it, there are ways to do it that are not offensive. I mean, there are those who go out there and they beat their chest and they stand on the street corner and yell, scream, rant, rage at people. I don't think any, they, they get nothing but a negative attention, do they? But you're sitting in the break room at the, at the table having your lunch and you're having a casual conversation about some whack job in the news media and you can interject truth in that that is neither offensive nor destructive. But it will pierce because it does not have no effect. Negative. Yeah, it's a double negative. But it's for the purpose of emphaticness. If you say something, it will. It's going to stick. And it may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. But at some point in time, it will begin to cause questioning, and it will blossom. And others will come along. And you know, I, I don't know if you've ever broke plate glass. You can't just break it in one spot. Uh, one frontal, I mean, it's meant to take a brutal beating. You've got to break it in lots and lots of places to get it to shatter and fall. That's the way it works. We, we're, they've got a lifetime of believing the lies of Satan, believing this world. What are words? Oh, somebody? Yeah, I... So we're sanctified mm -hmm. and set apart from the wiles of Satan. So I find in myself, anyway, not only trying to share the gospel with others, and not that I try to do that, but most of the battle is with myself. Oh, sure. Yeah, it is. Satan keeps making us doubt, put the doubt in there so we don't do it. We're our own worst enemy. Is it Satan or is it my endemic nature? Well, you're a fallen, you're a fallen vessel. I know that. And that, yeah. But that, that's it. I mean, is it you or is it him actively attacking you? I don't know. Well, then that's why I brought the point up, because if we're sanctified and he prayed that we would be, so I would assume that God the Father is going to answer the prayer of Christ. So it's almost like the Adamic nature becomes the main distraction. Yeah, it's, it is. 
But it's a, it is an ongoing process. It's Every a moment. Day. It's a moment by moment <laughs> thing. Yeah, it doesn't happen. You're soon. not alone in that. <laughs> no, you're not. I didn't think. <laughs> Yeah, he did. So we can count on that. We can make on that. But we gotta believe it. <laughs> yeah, we gotta trust, belief. Yeah. Or, or, yeah, trust, faith, and belief to believe that that word is true. Yeah. So yeah, you gotta work at it. Carl, um, I Proverbs uh, eleven thirty uh, says, "He that winneth souls is wise." So we we can we can win people's hearts for the Lord. It might take a little time, a little while, but. Um, that's what we should be about doing. Yeah. yeah, it is. Those conversations can be very hard because I've been shut down mm. just by the other person saying, I'm feeling uncomfortable with this mm. conversation. So it's like they... Yep. Okay. And it wasn't even crazy. Yeah. Craziness. We were talking about, uh, you know, one of the other, um, our nephew's child and the sports situation that happened at her school and how she was relating how she felt. So we're talking, oh, this is this conversation's making me uncomfortable. So there was the end of the conversation, which we yeah. weren't really even including the person who objected. You know, it was about somebody else. And she was relaying her real feelings of how she felt about this sports team. So, you know. Yeah. You get shut down immediately with their safe words. If it doesn't align with what they want you to believe, they do. My own children do it to me. What's interesting, and I have seen this over and over again, particularly my mother. Um, she will, she'll have those conversations and she'll stop. Their lives will become a disaster at some point in time. They'll, there's some, a child will get hurt. They'll get a, a, something will happen in their life. And you know who they run to? Come running to you. They come. Run, they would come running to my mother, begging her to pray for them because of this situation. Over and over and over. She worked. I don't know, twenty years or something like that in the public school system. And you, you know, those teachers. They don't want to hear. You know, they, they're like, no, they don't want to hear it. But they knew who she was and what her identity was. And when life got rough, Nina, would you pray for me, please? I know God listens to you. Over and over and over again, this could happen to her. And then you tell them God listens to you too. Yeah, well, <laughs> but then it opens that door. So yeah, they such it down at the lunch table. But when life gets tough, they know where the bread's buttered. Don't don't let them fool you. Don't be aggravated with them. They know where the bread is buttered. And when it's time and they need it, they come running for it. Well, look at 9/11, right? Exactly, <laughs> Carl. I'm sorry. I was listening to Joe Bush one time, and he was saying what, before he became a Christian, he used to love like needling Christians and getting them all irritated and stuff. So that's what they're, you know, a lot of times it's not what they're thinking, it's what they're saying using them to do. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're a pawn. Totally. Okay, I'm going to look at this a, a little more um, as we're doing this. What are words? When we talk about words, what are they? Thoughts, Power. ideas. Thoughts, ideas, yeah. What do ideas do? Make action. Okay, they make action. They make you think. They make you think. Plant seeds. They what? Plant seeds. They plant seeds. They yeah, they, they cause change, don't they? Ideas cause change. How does a changed mind protect us? 
How does a changed mind protect us? Depends how it's changed. Well, that's true, because it can't go the other way, but we're, we're looking at positive change, because remember, we're talking about this prayer and being sanctified. How does a changed mind protect us? We think more about our actions and thoughts. Okay, we think more. Yeah, is that a hand? You learn how to look at things differently through different lenses. Yeah, yeah. Annie. You, um, instead of looking at all the negative negative things in your life, you begin to count your blessings instead. So That's true. Our, our whole view begins to change the world. We begin to see things differently. Why does this cause the world to hate us? Because they're in chaos. Well, they're in chaos. Because we're breaking away from them. We're breaking away from them. We don't have the same view. We're not looking at the world the same way. Go ahead. Well, sometimes I kind of think it's they want what we want, what we have, but they don't want to give up what they've got to have what we have. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, they're, like they don't fear. want to walk away from their way of life because it's going to. This is why it's so important to understand that sanctification is a process that requires us to study and to think and to change because the world is driving us in one way and they and we're going and we're trying to go in the other and we're easily swayed back it is a river and we're paddling against it and if the nose of that boat gets turned i don't know if you've ever if you've ever paddled up a river canoe raft whatever once that nose begins to turn the tide the river current takes it and we'll spin it around. We've got to keep it straight. We've got to keep it going. The words are important that we read and listen to and hear because they promote ideas, which ideas begin to change our mind one way or the other. Look, I like movies like everybody else. I like to read. I, I, I have a large selection of sci-fi and fantasy novels I like to read. How much of it is, is helping, that's moving us, sanctifying us? Okay. I'm not talking about being holier than thou, that we can't go out and have fun and enjoy life and all that. That's, that's not what sanctify means. But we need to be paying attention and not just mindlessly going through life. Because if those ideas gain any foothold, they'll begin to change our view, which will slide us the other direction. Because... Ideas change our mind. That has been the scariest thing to the world. If you look at the world, what is the most banned substance? The Bible. The Bible. Muslim countries are terrified of Bibles coming into them. They rigorously search your luggage for them. Russia, during the Cold War, Rigorously, it was that, that was the worst crime was to bring in a Bible. China, it's still the same thing. North Korea, North Korea, they will they will look, dig. You will go to prison for life. It is that they are terrified. Why? It's just paper and ink. It's just words on a page. You want to bring in a copy of Hamlet? Nobody cares. You want to bring in a copy of the Magna Carta? Nobody cares. Constitution of the United States? Nope, that's okay. The Bible, the very words of God, because they empower, 
They're ideas that change the mind. Bruce. I believe it was somewhere in Utah they just banned the Bible. Did they? Schools. Uh, the, the, they may have banned it in a school. I, I saw that there was a trial for it. And, but I guess the students are now saying, well, now we need to look at the Book of Mormon. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, Utah. Yeah, not surprised. That would be Utah. But they are afraid of the ideas that are in the Bible. Now, let's face it. We don't need the Bible, do we? We don't need that physical book. If we spend enough time doing what we're doing right now, studying and reading ourselves, we become the living word, don't we? Isn't that what Paul called us? The living word? Because it's our lives. It becomes us as we live it. And we have the ability to communicate ideas that are changing. And the world is terrified of it. The power of 12 men upset the entire world order under the rulership of Nero, one of the most vicious, vile Roman emperors ever, killing anybody and everybody. He couldn't put it to death. That ideas just kept spreading and spreading and spreading from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. In 2,000 years, nobody's been able to kill it or keep it out, have they? We can find Christians virtually anywhere in the world. Ideas. The ideas that Christ gave us, that truth that he came to testify to, that he sent the spirit of truth into the world, world to give us understanding of the <coughs> word, and then he sent us into the word, world. <laughs> All right, back in the back there. Just a, a Bible verse to, to go with what you're saying. In Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged I tell my grandchildren these are basic instructions before you learn. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is. I, like I said, this is a short lesson. I, I don't have a lot of material. But I think that we underestimated the power of this. And this is the prayer of Christ. This is the, the, the one of the last prayers. This is the last prayer that the 11, because Judas is gone. This is the last prayer that we know of that the 11 were present for. Because they're going to go from here, and he's going to take the three disciples with him, Peter, James, and John. And he's going to go into the garden and have the prayer in the garden of Gethsemane. The other, the other what is it, seven, will not be with him. I, we don't know where they went. They probably went back to Mary and Martha's house. Um, to get some sleep for the next day. And Jesus stayed to pray because the Garden of Gethsemane is on the way. But this is the last time they're together before his crucifixion. This is his last words to them. And he's praying, Father, sanctify them. Father, guard them through the Holy Spirit working in their lives so that I can send them into the world. That's important. We, we, we skip over these passages to get to the crucifixion. We want to get to the action part of the story. But I think this is crucial. Let's move on. Because we haven't finished it yet. That's <laughs> only its opening lines. John chapter 17, verses 20 through 23. Somebody read that. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all that they may all be one, just as you. Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, 
so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me even as you loved as even as you loved me. This is critical. I do not ask only for these only, these being the the eleven that are standing or sitting in front of him. For those who will believe, who is that? Us, us the future. This is Christ's prayer for us. Did you know he prayed for you specifically? And this is what he's prayed for us. And then we get to the really funny parts that we always joke about that, you know, I'm in him and he's in me and all that. Do we understand in? It's a small, two-letter word preposition. But it is powerful. Not next to, not beside, not on top of or underneath. In. We are in Christ. And we're not just talking metaphysically here. We have become like him. He has sent the Holy Spirit and put him in us so that we have a oneness that is beyond our comprehension. There is a connection to the Almighty that we have on a spiritual level that enables us to know truth, that Satan can't defeat it. We don't have him in us until we choose to believe and choose to accept him, and then he comes in. Before that, we have no protection. We have no connection to the source or anything of truth. We're out there, all on our own. It's a, not an easy place to be. Unite them, and it's them. Unite them. It's not just us being unified with Christ. It's us being unified with each other. See, we're back to that one anothering again. Love one another. Connect them. We are connected through Christ because each one of you who's accepted Christ has the Holy Spirit in him, just as I do, and we're connected to God the same way. There's a connection, a bond at a spiritual level that the world cannot understand that allows us to live life together in a manner of peace that is beyond us. There are, I mean, everybody's like, oh, it's just this nephorous thing out there. No, it's not. The problem is, is that the spiritual realm is unattainable by ourselves. We can't see it, measure it, or anything. We know it exists. The world knows it exists. That's why they have spiritual mediums and soothsayers and uh, what was that, 1-800? Um, uh, 900. Nine, yeah, 1-900. The, the, uh, Tarot. Tarot cards and party. A good reading. Yeah, you, you, you can get a read. They know there's a spiritual realm out there. It's out there. It exists. And they're always trying to contact it and all that. Guess what? You're plugged into it. If you are a believer, we are connected to it and connected to each other by it in a way that unites us in Christ, that brings us unity and the ability to function. Unite them, all future believers, all past believers. You are united and connected to anybody who believes. That means Abraham. You're connected to Abraham. 
He believed. He is a believer from more than 4,000 years ago. You're connected to him. Moses. The, 12, the 11 disciples. You're connected to them. All believers, we are united together in Christ. That unity, and this is what we need to understand, our unity authenticates the truth of Christ. When we fight amongst ourselves, when we fight with other churches and other denominations, we're denying the truth of Christ. Look, there are churches that have got bad theology out there, that's true, but if they are true believers... We've got to, we, we need to align with that. I'm not saying we agree with them. I don't necessarily like their music, their dress, whatever it is. But our unity must be in Christ. Not in the covering, the, the dressing that goes on top, but at the core. Yes, I don't like whatever it is you're doing or, or how you dress or whatever. But you and I can pray together. We can work together for, this, for Christ's goals in this town, in this community, even though we're not the same on the outside. Because that's really what it is. Our core is Christ. That's what we have to remember. Our core is Him. And our unity authenticates Him and His truth. And so if we are denying that unity, and there are churches out there that they deny that anybody that's not one of them is not a Christian. When they're doing that, they are not authenticating Christ. Because he said, all believers, anywhere from all tribes, tongues, nations, time periods, all of that, that's what makes them us his. And why is that? Because unity is the result of an encounter with Jesus. Somebody who refuses to be unified with the believers has not had an encounter with Jesus. I mean, that's the long and short of it. If you have Jesus, if the Holy Spirit is in you, then you will be able to connect with other believers. And if you find yourself that you can't connect with them because of whatever it is, you're denying him. I have worked with lots of different organizations over the span of 30 years of ministry. And it's always the unifying factor is Christ. We may not agree on the mode of baptism. We agree that baptism is important. But some believe in this mode, that mode. You know what? It's a window dressing. It's not important if we're trying to do, if we're trying to work in the community. That's a, we sit in the back room and we discuss it kind of thing, not out in public where the world is watching, there they need to see a unified front that we are believers in Christ and stuff. If they don't believe in the same Christ I do, now we don't have, we're, we're not going to get along. <laughs> that, that's not what I'm talking about. But there's a lot of fighting that's going on over things that are not important. And the unity of, in Christ, it authenticates him. So if we're not showing the unity and we're airing that dirty laundry, then we are dishonoring Christ. We need to ask forgiveness and figure out how to do that. And if you've got issues, take them aside, because that's what the scripture tells us in Matthew. Take them aside and talk to them. You're not, you're not airing it out on Facebook or Instagram or wherever it is and laying all that out there for the whole world to see, because the world already hates us. 
We're giving them fuel. Here, take my ammo. You're giving away your, your ammo to the enemy to kill you. Mm, yeah. Unite them. This is Jesus' last public prayer to the 12 or the 11. He says, unite them. Not just, these, not just these here, but those that are going to come. He's talking to us. This is a direct conversation to us from 2,000 years ago. It's important. Comment, question. All right, go ahead, Patty. One thing that keeps coming to my mind is we are to go and make disciples. Mm -hmm. Now, making disciple means spending time teaching those that don't understand the Bible. Yes. It means taking time to answer their questions because it isn't clear to people that have no beliefs at all. No, we, we've, we've become a culture that wants to make converts. And that's not the call. It's to make disciples because a disciple is one who has the Holy Spirit in them of the truth, but you only learn truth through work. Carl? I, I remember my dad saying that his, his uh, old pastor used to say, if your brother doesn't uh, dot his spiritual eyes and cross the spiritual T's, doesn't mean you have to be against him or anything. So no. No, it doesn't. All right. Let's move along. John chapter 17, verses 24 through 26. Somebody read that. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me. Before the foundation of the world, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Wow, that's powerful. As he closes this prayer, I made known to them his name. We know who God is because Christ has told us. That's, that, that's powerful. The world doesn't. God loved him, and he's loving us. He's about to go. He's hours away from the most de devastating event in the history of the world. A trumped up trial filed by an unlawful execution. And he's talking about how we will be loved because the Father loved him. The fact that this is what he is praying on the cusp of the knowledge of knowing what is about to happen is significant. He says, gather them. He wants us gathered to him. Jesus wants us with him. Do you grasp the significance of that? Where he's going to the Father. He says, Father, I'm coming to you. I'm coming back to you. I want you to gather them to me. Where is he? Right hand. He's sitting at the right hand of God. And he says, God, bring those who are mine to me 
here in the throne room at the right hand of him. I want them with me here. That's the relationship we have with him. Having him in us by living the way, the manner that we're supposed to, we gain his desire for us to be with him. Why does he want us to be with him? He wants us to see his glory. His glory is so amazing, and every time we see any glimmer of it in Scripture, it is overwhelming to us. He wants to share it with us. He wants us to see it. He wants us to acknowledge it to the world, just who he is. You know, we, we go around and we talk about the things that are... important to us or things that are that spark our awe. I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. I like to talk about the Steelers. Harrison. We should pray for him. Yeah. <laughs> but George Harrison was an amazing football player and we, we, we often talk and joke. Why? Because we revel in his glory. I don't play football. Not me. Him. Or whoever it is. We talk about and we, we try to convince people of our point because of the glory of whatever it is, whether it be uh, a nation. We see a lot of that. Somebody just gave a, a speech at a commencement about how um, corporate America is about white suppression on the rest of the world and yeah. all that. It was completely a Marxist speech. She's a Marxist. She glorifies Marx and his work because it's so amazing to her, right? Yeah, yeah. But we have seen his glory. We have it in us. Are we proclaiming his glory or is it just a passive fancy and we're too busy glorifying whatever it is that's more important in our lives? I'm not saying that we only talk about him, but if you look at your life, what is the majority of your effort spent upon? Your new boat, not that I think anybody here has a boat, but, you know, a new car, I've got this really cool car, I've got this, whatever it is, whatever the thing is, I don't know what it is, but there's something. And if that's what the majority of our persuasion to other people is about, then it's not about him. He wants us to see his glory so that we can be overwhelmed by it, because it is so amazing. Jesus wants the Father's love for him to be in us. The Father's love for Jesus, he's sharing with us. <coughs> Can you grasp the significance of that? The Father doesn't love us. The world has been saying this. They've perverted this message. That we are loved by God and all this. No, no. He loved the, the Son. And the Son is sharing that love with us. The love for him, he gives to us because he's in us and we're in him. See, that's where all that we like to laugh about stuff comes in and why it's so important. Because there's nothing lovable in us except for Christ. Him in us means the Father loves us because he loves him and all that. Do you see this? this is, there, it actually all makes sense. And it's all connected. And somehow in the spiritual plane that we can't bring our scientific instruments to measure 
It is measurable. It's seeable. It is there. And it follows the rules that we have in our own science if we read these passages and understand what's going on. It's happening there in a manner that makes sense because you know what? It's all been created by the same God. And the systems are all the same. Comment, question. Go ahead, Cindy. That's why we have to understand God became flesh too. We mm -hmm. just think Jesus did it, but you can't, there are three of them, but they're all one. Yeah. So we have to remember that just can blow your mind sometimes. It, it is. It is beyond our ability. That's where the faith comes in. We know it's true. We have the knowledge. We don't necessarily have complete understanding, but that's what the faith is, is that it is true, and we accept it. All right, we're about to run out of time. Told you it was a short lesson. Yeah. All right, a little bit of doctrine. This is a, a, a bit of doctrine on the church or believers. The New Testament speaks also of the church as the body of Christ, which includes all of the redeemed of all the ages, believers from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. The church universal covers everything from Old Testament to New Testament. All persons who believe, they are part of the body of Christ. And they are our brethren. They're the ones we are to be unified with. Whether we totally agree, disagree in all angles of belief, the idea is, is that we're the body of Christ. It's about him, not about us. All right, as we go this week, a couple of things to take with us. First, we share in representing Jesus in this sinful world. We share in this. It isn't him doing it, it's us. And it isn't one person, it isn't the pastor, it's all of us. Each and every one of us are looked at by the world, and through that, they make a determination of whether or not the truths that Christ claims are believable or unbelievable. How is your life proclaiming that? Secondly, we should find acceptance from other believers. We need to work together. We need to find common ground and go from there. We all don't have the same likes. I don't like bananas. <laughs> I detest bananas on a level you probably cannot begin to imagine. My wife loves bananas. She loves to make banana bread. And it smells good when she makes it, but I just can't eat banana bread. <laughs> 30 years we have this. We don't get along over bananas. But we've been married for 30 years. We can get along, can't we? We don't agree on the styles of worship, the styles of churches, the, the, the way the building looks, the color of the carpet. But we can get along. I'm not saying we have to agree. But we can get along. We have to find acceptance from other believers because we are to be unified together. Third, we can live with a shared assurance of seeing God's glory. We are going to be with him because he has asked the Father to bring us to him. That day is coming. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you. 
that you cared enough to pray for us in your final hours, 2,000 years ahead of our coming. Lord, help us to live in this manner. Help us to represent you to the world. Lord, help us to live in a manner that is acceptable to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah.